Hey, sister, welcome back to the Your Sorority Journey podcast. As we get started, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever struggled to relate to your sorority's ritual? I know for many of us, when the curtain is lifted in either our new member ceremony or initiation, we can get a little overwhelmed that our organization, this sisterhood that we've just joined, was founded on a belief system and principles and values that are so much deeper than what one might see on the outside. The complexities of it are very easy to get lost in, and it's easy to get stuck in the details. I am so excited to invite a sweet sister friend of mine, Marley Ribnick, onto the podcast today to talk through her journey to understanding and relating to her sorority's ritual. This has become a passion area in her sorority journey, and I am so excited for you to get to hear her perspective and insight and hopefully be challenged to lean into any area of discomfort that you might feel with your sorority's ritual. Here is my conversation with Marley. Hey sister, Cassie Little here to welcome you to your sorority journey, a podcast for sisters to find guidance and confidence in any season of their membership. Our rockstar guests and I have intentional conversations, discuss unpopular topics, and provide relevant encouragement to be an extension of your sisterhood. So thanks for inviting us on your journey. Are you ready to dive in? Marley, welcome to the Your Sorority Journey podcast, sister. I am so excited to finally have you on. I'm so excited to finally be here. Well, what's wild is as we were like putting together the speaker list for Uncharted, we were like promoting the speakers because most of them had been on the podcast previously. And when we got to you, I was like, why has Marley not been on the podcast yet? We we need to close the circle. So I'm so glad that we're doing this. Uh, yeah, I'm really glad that you reached out because I feel like I just got like a hit of something really exciting when I got to help with Uncharted. And I was like, oh, I want more of this. So this oh, is perfect. <laughs> I know. As our friends already know, it's just so special to have you on today because you were my leadership consultant when I was chapter president. And I felt this way, inviting you to be on Uncharted. And every time I see you like an Instagram post or engage with her sorority journey in any capacity, it just feels so full circle. So thanks for being here. Yeah, of course. I love to support. I I think we should just jump right in. Um, Marley, tell us about your sorority journey and how it started and where it's brought you today. Well, um, I started a little bit unconventionally. Um, I didn't know much about sororities at all when I um, moved from Minneapolis to um, Columbia, Missouri to go to Mizzou. Um, And I was actually um, not sure I would even have time for a sorority at all. My freshman year, I held a a leadership position on the North American board of my Jewish youth group, which was sort of like a carryover from high school, but I was spending a lot of time mentoring high school students. And I didn't think I was going to have any time for what I knew of as sorority at that point, which was very little. Yeah. Um, So I didn't end up joining until I went through the COB process, second semester of my sophomore year. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't think very, I knew that. very late bloomer in the sorority universe. Um, but I, I think I just had a lot of FOMO seeing my friends from the dorm going to these events and having these connections. And I felt like I was missing something. Um, and I think the COB process was like the absolute key for me. Um, because I, you know, 
I knew specifically I was interested in Sigma Kappa, um, visited the house a couple of times, and I liked that not everybody felt like the same person. Um, people were quirky and different and fun and smart, and I just felt like I could be honest with them about what I was looking for. Um, and it ended up really working out. So, wow, that's so crazy. I did not know that you joined. I think I knew you joined through COB, but I didn't know you joined a little later in your college experience. Yeah, I was a very, very late joiner. Um, and I really knew that it was something I wanted to take advantage of. And I hoped that it wasn't going to be too late for me. There's like a stigma that like at a certain point, you're, you're too old to join. You're too old to be considered. Yeah. Uh, so it was cool to be able to join. And my new member class was, oh gosh, I want to say there were like 36 of us. There's COB. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, and Mizzou, it, they have such big chapters. Like I want to say my chapter was like around 250, 300. Yeah. Um. And there was one other sophomore in my new member class. So I wasn't like completely by myself, um, but it was great. So when I, I loved the process, I loved everything about it. And then when it was time to consider leadership opportunities, I just knew I wanted to be sisterhood chair. Like I did not have executive council aspirations. Like the titles did not matter to me, but I loved the sisterhood programming. And I was like, all right, this is it. Like I had so many ideas in my back pocket from when I was teaching membership and communication skills to these high school students. Yeah. Um, that I was like, how can I combine those skills with my sorority skills and just have it like a killer sisterhood institution? <laughs> so not just the, well, not just like the events, like, you know, when you yeah. go like paint pottery or the retreats where it's like four hours long, but also like I was frequently inviting myself to executive council meetings to be like, this is the state of where our sisterhood is at. Here's what I'm recommending. Mm. I don't know if they liked it or not, but I gave it a go. Okay. Well, I love that. I feel like in a lot of the programming her sorority journey does about sisterhood is like the Galentine's day, like pottery event, right? Awesome. Right. The movie night you host with another chapter on campus. Great. But what are you doing with those relationships that you form? at those events, right? Those should just be like the spark of everything else that sisterhood is, right? It's maybe something that helps you connect with more sisters, but that won't, that's not the extent of sisterhood, right? Like right. sisterhood is those connections that you make outside of that. And so I'm so glad that you bring that up because that perspective is so valuable. Oh, a hundred percent. And I, you know, I also took on some other like micro leadership opportunities in the chapter. Like I helped to teach ritual music, um, which I think I talked about for like a split second in my uncharted session. Yeah, I think um, you did. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, I was like auditioning for Greek week skits and I sang during preference round of recruitment. Like I just picked up the micro opportunities that I thought would help further my growth. Um, and I think it, it really worked out. So my senior year, uh, I applied to be a leadership consultant, obviously, as Cassie alluded to, I spoiled um, this part. <laughs> that's it's okay. Um, and I remember there, there were like 60 something applicants. And I, I think I was one of the lucky eight. Um, man, so I, you know, I, I was stationed in, in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina with our Lambda Beta chapter. So if any Lambda Betas listen, hey girls, um, 
And that was at Coastal Carolina University. And I also once a month was going to our Kappa Iota chapter at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, but of course, started on the West Coast with a little trip to Arizona State, um, <laughs> where I got to help y'all with some recruitment events. Yep. Um, and after my year as a leadership consultant, I was promoted to a collegiate support specialist role at national headquarters in, in Indy. And then I spent the next two years traveling like 50% of the time. Yeah, I remember that. Wild. Yeah, completely wild. Um, and, you know, when I was on NHQ staff, I was someone who's always like willing to question our processes wasn't always well received, but I believe that like the intentional conversations and questioning is how we honor our value of personal growth. So that's sort of how I did had my staff hat on. Yeah. How can we be challenging the process in a way that is helpful to us and in line with our values and, you know, got to take on some fun projects. Like I was one of the co-authors on our first DEI chair handbook, and now I'm no longer on staff, but I volunteer and I get to help write allyship programming and a bunch of other things under the sun. So I think that kind of sums up quite yeah. a bit. Of yeah. So just before we like really dive into, I really want to get into your like perspective on challenging the process specifically with the goal of aligning with values, because I think a lot of our women specifically in the area of ritual feel this disconnect, right? Like maybe they connected with our values through the recruitment process, right? As we share them so boldly, um, or on our website or on our Instagram, as we do these little like highlights of what personal right. growth service, whatever the, their organization's values are, um, what they mean to them on social media or through recruitment. Um, but I think sometimes when we like reveal that curtain of where those values are rooted and, there's just this disconnect. And so I want to talk about like challenging the process, but before yeah. we get there, um, tell us a little bit about like where you are at now, right? You went to school in Mizzou, you lived in Indy for a while. Where are you and what are you up to now? Yeah, I, now I live in Washington, DC. Um, and I am a copywriter at a financial institution and association. So still not quite the, the sorority nonprofit, but a little bit adjacent. Um, yeah. And yeah, writing is something that I'm really passionate about. I got my degree in organizational communication from the University of Missouri. And oh, that makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't it? When people organizational ask, organizational like, communication is so Marley. <laughs> when people ask, like, even when I was a consultant, you know, are you, would you consider yourself working in, in the field you study? I was like, oh, heck yeah. Yeah. Heck yeah. Well, oh, I love that. Good. We are digging in, you know, that, that writing piece in you, you're a really skilled facilitator too. Your session was just like so awesome and so well received at uncharted. But I think as a, when you love writing, it's so cool when you're able to, or when you love anything, it's so cool when you're able to find volunteer opportunities or places that you can give back that really parallel that instead of like just giving money or just right. like showing up at the scheduled event. I think finding creative ways to give your unique skills and talents is so much more impactful because your heart is in it so much more when you enjoy the work that you're doing and you see a correlation between your passion and the impacts that you're making. Um, so when we talk about like this challenging the process, like mindset that you had, um, 
where did that come from? And like, what areas of sorority did you feel the need to like push the most? Obviously you do work with allyship. Um, we're going to get into your heart for ritual, but maybe just start off by giving us like a scope of like where you saw a disconnect and your heart for trying to like bring, like bridge that back to our values. Oh gosh, that's a great question. You know, I think, I think it started pretty early in terms of like, in how it relates to my sorority experience, you know, there's always going to be people in your life going like, oh, a sorority. Yeah. Like, are you sure? And especially for me, since I joined so late, it was like, well, why? What's Mm. the point? Isn't the whole point to like make friends as a freshman and like you already have friends. And I think part of it comes from like a fundamental need to like show people that there are multiple sides to a story or um, to prove a naysayer wrong to like level the level the scales like, you know, in the in the sorority realm, it sort of started from there. But, you know, me as a person, I'm very much a do your best to practice what you preach. You know, like if you live by a set of standards or rules, you know how could you, how could you let yourself stray from those? Like, obviously we all make mistakes, but like when it's in an institution, like a sorority and you have chapter leadership and I, I say chapter leadership, like very strategically as to not mean just executive council, like chapter leadership also means like the people with the loud voices, the influential personalities, um, our friends, when chapter leadership are doing things that don't align with values, I find it very difficult to not say something because that is sort of how we, how we learn to be the best version of ourselves is like reminding each other of that and holding each other accountable to become the best versions of ourselves. So it was sort of like, whenever I saw something that like, didn't feel right, I was always going to be the one to question it. And that was in my collegiate experience, um, in my LC in my staff experience. Yeah. Um, I mean, I even said in my, in my interview, you know, they're like, what kind of an employee are you? And I say, great question. I am not the employee that you say jump. And I ask how high I'm going to be the employee that says, great question. Should we be skipping instead? Hmm. And if the answer is ultimately, no, we need you to jump. then I say, great, let's jump. But I'm glad we talked about it. So it's not to stir the pot, but it's so that we become better. Yeah. Well, and I think what's so unique about your perspective on challenging the process is it's not to create havoc. It's not to make everyone question like their like fundamental like proceedings, right? Or they're, but it's more of like, I just think we fall into routines in any sphere of life, but specifically in sorority organizations that are as old as ours and created traditions and just practices that might not be so current. So maybe jumping was something that was super applicable in 1874, but now like maybe skipping is better in some areas, but jumping is still what we need to fall back on in others. Right. A hundred percent. And I think like tying that back to ritual, this thing that was founded in 1874 might require some like skipping in certain areas and jumping in others. I know ritual means a lot to you. That's what we had you talk about at Uncharted. Would you just share with our friends here how you developed a close relationship with ritual and some of the work that you have done to help challenge the process, both in your 
personal relationship with it and helping other sisters do that in their own relationship with ritual as well? Definitely. So I would definitely call myself a ritual enthusiast. Um, I just thought it was so cool and so fascinating. Um, it felt so unique and special to be included in a ritual um, as a member, you know, being exposed to it and then teaching it to others. Um, but obviously, I didn't relate to every aspect of, of ritual. And I'm sure a lot of members from every organization have that one thing in ritual that's like, ah, not quite. <laughs> um, and that's like to put it mildly, right? Yeah. So I think part of actually um, the way I process ritual is through my lens of being a Jewish woman, um, which seems a little backward, right? Because Sigma Kappa is not rooted in Judaism and many organizations are not. They're rooted in some form of, of Christianity. But for me, the way I was raised in Judaism and what I've learned is that we hold this idea of both and and, how two things can be true at the same time. Mm. I think that sort of has, has helped me reflect on how I can still care for and appreciate and protect ritual while at the same time being challenged by ritual. So I wanted to dive into it and, and learn as much as I could so that I could do myself the service of wrestling with it instead of just pushing it aside. So or writing it off as and ignoring right. it as many of our members do, right? When they, they face that dis discomfort. Yeah. And it's valid. Like if you feel uncomfortable with something, you're not going to want that as a part of your daily life. That makes a lot of sense. And I think the yeah. biggest mistake we make is to paint those sisters as villains. Mm. Like you're rude, you're disrespectful. You're not standing when you should be standing, sitting when you should be sitting, quiet when you should be quiet. No, like, have you asked them why? Um, in a non-accusatory tone, because yeah. I, I would venture to say that many times that is not happening. Um, so when I was in LC, I kind of took it upon myself to write a workshop for Sigma Kappa about ritual and religious identity. Um, it was just sort of my passion project, something I did on the side. So it approaches um, the ritual conversation like a religious studies class. Um, so it compares different religious and secular texts to ritual elements in the small group setting. Um, and I was able to pilot that workshop on our Kappa Iota chapter at the University of Pennsylvania got their feedback and was able to revise it. Um, and now it lives on the Sigma Kappa website as like an actual workshop for our members to use, which is so exciting. And I, I hope they've edited and changed it since I wrote it. Um, and if not, tap me, I'm happy to edit it and change it. <laughs> um, for our Sigma I, Kappa staff friends that are listening. <laughs> right. And I, I volunteer on the programming team, so it is not outlandish to think that I could probably just touch it and tweak it. Yeah. Um, and I also had the chance to achieve a really big goal of mine, which was to facilitate a workshop about this topic at Sigma Kappa National Convention. Mm. Um, so I, I With Angela, right? Yeah, I literally checked an English Quran and a Torah and a Bible out of the library and flew them with me in my suitcase to Pontevedra Beach, Florida. <laughs> program. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, we talked about the taboo of, of not being able to relate to ritual and why we stigmatize that feeling instead of helping one another get through it. 
Mm. Um, and we, we dug into and analyzed ritual song lyrics, which I'm sure like in every organization, there's some poem or song or passage that you just say and you don't dig into it. Yeah. Um, find really some way to memorize it without like really understanding it. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, we don't typically hold space in our ritual workshops in our chapters to dig into like a lyric analysis or a breaking down line by line of a poem or passage. Like we just don't, we don't do that. Um, yeah. So not only did I receive amazing feedback after the convention uh, was over from the participants at the workshop, but as you, as you sort of mentioned, one of the attendees was our sister G, Angela Guillory, a wonderful human being, fraternity and sorority life professional, and a ritual enthusiast in her own right, um, and past national Sigma Kappa president. And she like left right after the workshop. So I, I, didn't get to talk to her, but right at the beginning, Cassie, she came up to me and she goes, I don't want you to be nervous that I'm here. <laughs> that's so cute. Like, okay, that, that made me very nervous, but thank you, Angela. Oh, but it's she funny. But did find me later at the convention and pull me aside. And she's like, can we chat some more private? And we sat and we talked about ritual inclusivity for what felt like hours. Mm. Um, and now we serve on a task force together, um, dedicated to ritual inclusivity for Sigma Kappa. So I did not leave well enough alone <laughs> when it came to ritual, but it's, but my questioning and leaning into my discomfort is now leading to conversations and change with movers and shakers. Mm. Um, so it's been pretty worth it. Yeah. So I want to dig into that term you just used, ritual inclusivity. That might be like a foreign concept to some people, right? Like we yeah. have heard about diversity, equity, and inclusion chairman in our chapters. We all know the ritual chairman who's like trying to get us to like get rid of song sheets and like memorize things <laughs> before 30 minutes before a ceremony, right? We like know who those people are separately. What does ritual inclusivity mean as a concept for you? Um, and obviously the task force for Sigma Kappa is a private organization's business, right. but just as a, a concept um, or just like your personal goal in being a part of that task force, like what are some of, what does that mean to you? Um, what are some of your aspirations from focusing on that? I think from a practical standpoint, as members, we put so much money, time, resources, energy, and effort into our organizations that if you're not connecting to the thing that is supposed to be the crux of our organization, that's not on you. That's on us. Like, Ooh, us, so good. Yeah. Us as in the people that are comfortable and are getting it right. Um, it shouldn't be, a an instance of, well, sucks for you then. Hope you connect to this other thing instead. Just tough it out and sit through this long initiation and come to formal chapter meetings um, and don't complain and don't be rude or you'll go to standards council. Instead of like, how, how can we approach ritual for a way where we're bringing everybody along for the ride and letting it be like, okay, it's like kind of okay that you don't connect to this really old thing. That makes a lot of sense. Um, that was written when it was acceptable to jump when now 
skipping might be a better option to go back to your previous skipping analogy. Skipping might be a better option. Exactly. And I think it's important to still honor the ritual as it is like a historical facet of our organizations, but there are ways to honor things without um, hurting our members now and making people feel blindsided by this thing that they're being told they're supposed to cherish and love without telling them why other than it's old and we all do it. So it sounds like to me, to you, ritual inclusivity means giving everyone the opportunity to connect with something through their own lens, not through one lens, through one person's experience, maybe even not even through our founders understanding of what ritual meant, but their individual perspective through their own worldview, set of yeah, beliefs modern and day principles. Yes, mm. exactly, Cassie. And it also means like making sure that our ritual is not alienating to members that are atheist, agnostic, Muslim, that we're not um, alienating to women that are unable to stand, unable to sit, unable to you know, like a myriad of other things, right? We make a lot of assumptions about gender, about abledness, about religion. Um, and instead of addressing them or finding ways to make ritual accessible, we sweep it under the rug. And we just say, well, nationals, we say nationals instead of- Love that term. Right. As I roll my eyes into my brain. (laughs) (laughs) The national organization, national headquarters, like, who are you talking about? Um, And just say, well, like nationals is not going to like if we like don't do that or we don't memorize this or whatever. I am way less concerned of you that you don't have this memorized. Like I would rather you hold a song sheet in your hand and know what you're singing and have it mean something to you? And like, what work are we doing on the back end to help you feel like you're included in that process? Yeah, I think especially because I believe fraternities and sororities are social organizations and social meaning that we're equipping men and women for society. Mm -hmm. I think intentionality is a super important cornerstone of life, right? In relationships, in professional career paths, in, I don't know, like, any other group that you like associate with or like, I don't know, find meaning in. And so if we aren't teaching women to be intentional by saying like, this is just something we do like 30 minutes, like of our, whatever, five minutes of every chapter meeting, like three ceremonies a semester, we just get through it. If we're looking at this as something we're just like getting through, we aren't training our women to be intentional in everything they do in their lives, which I think is a critical component of equipping women to be better for society. Yeah, you're completely right in that. Yeah. It is a real test in, um, in accountability and how we spend our time and how we treat each other. Mm. And I think, you know, as, as our, um, larger umbrella organizations and our individual organizations are rolling out new diversity, equity, inclusion protocol and, and statements and, and all of these other things as, as they should be, we need to make sure that we are being intentional about how that works internally too. Mm-hmm. Uh, if our ritual, Absolutely. the crux of us is not accessible, then like we have no business doing these other things. Like we have to fix ourselves internally too. 
So good. I'm just curious how you see or how you bring ritual beyond sorority, beyond these ceremonies, as it is something that you have found so much purpose in helping other women connect with. How do you connect with it in your daily life? I think to me, it's about interconnectedness um, and how, um, how I guess, yeah, just how everything is connected. So I think ritual is supposed to teach us about how, um, how the ideals of our organizations can be transcended into our, into our daily lives. Though I don't think we're as great about actually applying that. Um, I think it's a great practice in making sure that I can try to live my life intentionally and holistically in whatever way makes sense to me. I think it teaches you a lot about, um, appreciating the past for what it is and learning from it and embracing a better future for yourself, um, about asking questions. And I think it's also about like, look at what women can build. Ooh, so good. Look at what we created, both ritual and, um, just the existence of our organizations at all, um, out of whatever circumstance was thrown our way, not feeling represented or, um, being new to the campus as women, um, and needing a place to, to be heard and be seen and be valued. Um, those are definitely things that I take with me in my daily life. I think sorority is actually what, um, what taught me how to be a feminist. I, you know, I did not even see myself as a feminist. I thought it was a dirty word, which is like some like weird internalized misogyny that I think a lot of people go through at some point. Um, but I didn't realize what it meant to be a feminist until I understood ritual and until I understood sorority, Mm. which I don't think a lot of people would expect to hear. Um, but you know, I think ritual also, if anybody's a fan of the Enneagram test, um, if any of you are familiar, like I'm an Enneagram four, which, um, if you know what that means, basically just means like, I read into everything. Everything has deeper meaning, um, very attuned to little things and nuance. Um, actually Sigma Kappa launched, um, a YouTube series about Enneagrams and they actually interviewed me for Enneagram four. So that's like somewhere on YouTube. Um, but I think that has also wired my brain to really care about ritual and how I use that in my life because of like, I'm always looking for a deeper meaning. So in some ways I just got lucky. I'm just wired that way. Mm. Um, but I think it really increased the value of my sorority membership when I leaned into ritual and made it a part of my, my thought process. Yeah. And I, I don't think you need to be an Enneagram four to like need to, like, I don't know. I think about like, (laughs) so I like really care about relationships and I really care about other people. Right. And so if I connect automatically with my sorority's ritual and I'm noticing other people that don't, that could be something on my heart. That's like, Hey, I want to help other people connect in a way that I don't, or I see other people connecting in a way that I don't, and I want to be in relationship with them. So I want to learn from them. Right. I think there's so many different ways. I mean, if you're an eight and you're a challenger, right, you might want to ask some questions and learn a little bit more and dig into why we do things the way we do them. Um, and so I think 
regardless of like where you fall on a personality assessment or your automatic connection with ritual, there's still work for you to do. If it's not personally connecting with ritual, it's helping others find their own lens and supporting your leadership in cultivating a space where it's safe to ask questions. It's safe to have hard conversations and not to steal your thunder. I just think that you probably have a lot of other great advice for women who are trying to move between the place of I tune out, zone out, make a mental to-do list when I can't have my phone during ritual or I, um, yeah, I'm just physically, I'm physically present, but I'm mentally elsewhere during ritual, how to move from that to being present, understanding what's going on and taking those moments as a reminder of how to incorporate values in a more intentional lifestyle elsewhere, external from sorority. So all that to say, what would you say to listeners who are having a hard time moving from totally tuned out to making this a part of their daily life? So what I did was, um, since I am very connected to my Jewish faith, what I did is like, if, okay, if there were moments where like, okay, we're having a little Christian moment right now, a beautiful little Christian moment, but it's not for me. Instead of what I did initially, which was just kind of like be there and be awkward and just like be quiet and, and try to look respectful, um, was I, I tried a couple of different things at first. Um, I thought, okay, what are the lyrics or the words in this whole big thing? Are there like even two lines that don't have to do specifically with Christianity that, um, that I can relate to. And like, could I say those two out loud or Mm. sing those two out loud? Um, so I tried that for a while and then I thought, you know, you know, in, in synagogue, we often have a moment for, for silent prayer, silent meditation. So I was like, okay, what if I just apply my own here and spend that moment thinking, okay, what was, what is the sentiment of, of whatever the chapter is collectively reciting? And what is my version of that, that I can say to myself internally that like has some of the same value components, but it is, is my version of that. Yeah. So that's something, um, if, if you're not, um, a faith-based individual, like a poem that you think has the similar sentiments or um, even just like a mantra or a thought or taking that minute to just like better yourself in a way. It doesn't have to be big, but a moment to check in with yourself, with your intentions um, and not waste the time that you're there. Um, My advice is like, so that's like some practical, tangible advice pieces. Yeah. but also just like challenge yourself to wrestle with the discomfort a little and not just write it off. Um, I know that's easier said than done because if you are not a ritual person, you're like, okay, you could not pay me to attempt this, which is very fair. Like I want to validate that. Yeah. Also say like, okay, what are you doing about it? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think the whole, if anyone takes anything away from Marley's episode today, I hope you hear that you need to take a step forward in some direction. If that's leaning into the discomfort or looking from side to side to see if there's women around you who are uncomfortable. Um, We just can't afford to keep like sitting through it. We can't keep just 
like you said, like it's not worth it to waste that time. How can you be using those spaces intentionally for what you need from them as sorority is designed to help you grow in what you need? How can you adapt that in the fitness class that I teach? We talk about like modifications a lot. Mm. Like this is your hour. Like you take what you need, like to a certain extent, like each and every listener joined for a selfish reason, right? Like they wanted to belong. They wanted sisterhood. They wanted to maybe grow professionally, personally, whatever, don't give, don't give your sorority a single moment to waste your time, right? Like how right. can you take advantage of your investment, your commitment? Obviously there's an opportunity for you to give back, but how can you be still be selfish, right? And not just participate in the, in things for the sake of participating in them. Right. And if you're showing up just to get your attendance points or whatever it is, like don't bother. Like you're, you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. You deserve better. Yeah. You yeah. deserve better than showing up for a check mark. Yeah. So to flip the script, we talked about advice that you would have for women who are struggling to connect. I want to ask you for any leaders or advisors or volunteers who might be listening, women who are in a space to really change the culture around ritual in their chapter, right? Some of the women who feel uncomfortable might not feel like they're in a position to change the culture that their chapter approaches ritual for everyone, but there could be other women who could create a better space for the women who are uncomfortable. What advice or next steps would you have for them to move forward after listening to this podcast? I would say, um, the ownership has to be on you a little bit. Um, because while, you know, we're also saying it's important that those, those who feel uncomfortable, you know, do the work for themselves. Ideally, we would be in a place where they would not have to, where things are set up for people to feel included and comfortable and gaining value from this. And a lot of that leadership has to come from the people that are in, in the advantage position of relating to ritual, liking it or most of it, or feeling special there, or whatever it might be, whatever version of that you might fall into. Um, this is your chance to take on one of my favorite sorts of micro leadership opportunities. Um, work with your ritual chair in the chapter. Um, if she has a committee, try to be on the committee or just on your own time, having conversations with your friends who are visibly uncomfortable or you just, you know them and you know their heart or they're frustrated or saying like, how can I get out of attending this thing? Cause that might be code for something else. Yeah. Um, and just taking the time to be like, do you want to just like sit down with me and like find ways to make this suck less? Or like, how can I help you make this suck less? Yeah. Um, because that's how it feels to people that aren't feeling engaged with ritual. Like they're trying to skip it. Like to some degree, like we got to stop painting them as the people that need to be in trouble, the bad apples, the bad seeds. Like it's literally not that these are members that we need to be caring for. And if you are in the position of not having to wrestle with ritual, take that upon yourself. Um, because that's how we look out for each other. Like if you have sisters that are struggling with the central ideals of your organization, that's a flaw of the organization, not them. 
Mm. So what are you going to do to help them feel okay? And it's in those conversations. It's in, you know, reminding um, a member of chapter leadership, hey, well, not everybody's actually Christian or hey, like not everybody can stand when asked to stand. Um, and being an ally and an advocate for people that just aren't feeling it. And eventually we'll get to a place where we might not even need to have the conversation, but that is my utopia. Mm. Yeah. I think so many, we have a lot of different kind of kinds of conversations on the podcast. We talk about a lot of different things, but at the end of the day, what are organizations we're rooted on these, these fundamental principles and values are who we say we aspire to become, right? It's how, it's like the trajectory of how we want to grow as individuals, as organizations. And so if there's a lack of alignment or a disconnect with that, that needs to be our first priority right? before any other like programming checkbox or recruitment organization or right? Like all the other like components of sorority need to come second to alignment with what we're here for and what we're all about. And so homework for every single one of you listening to the podcast today is if you are in a place to do something about your members being more comfortable or having a better relationship with what your organization means, what it was founded on, do something about it. That's number one. If you're a ritual chair, if you're a chapter president, if you're even a diversity, equity, inclusion chairman, right? This is you. This is an opportunity for you, for all three of you to come together and have a conversation about how you can change the culture of understanding ritual and diving into what our values actually mean. So if you're one of those three people, that's your homework. If you're anyone else, send this podcast episode to those three people offer. Yes. If you're <laughs> a sisterhood chair listening, go barge into that executive council <laughs> meeting and say, I Marley did it. About something that's impacting our sisterhood and it needs to be addressed. Yep. Fundamental goal. I heard from Cassie and Marley that everything else you guys talk about comes after this. So we need to sit down and talk about it. <laughs> you have our blessing. Get after it. Um, right. Seriously though, send this to someone who can do something about it. Um, and I'm not going to throw Marley out on the spot. Um, you can validate this or not, but Marley has been such a wealth of knowledge for me in just understanding how to break down ritual values and application from like the time we got to spend together when I was chapter president in 2016, all the way through watching your session at Uncharted a couple weeks ago. Um, so I'm sure if you hop in her DMs, she will respond yeah. and give you some love and encouragement. Her sorority journey is always here to support you in that as well. Um, but Marley, thank you so much for coming on today and of sharing course. your story. This was so helpful. And I hope really a tangible way for our women to change the way that they approach ritual and connect with who they are as sorority women. I hope that's the case. And yes, definitely DM me if you need something, anyone who's listening. Um, and hopefully I will just get to keep supporting her sorority journey. Um, even if it's just the Instagram life, like <laughs> Cassie is the real deal. Y'all met her before she started this amazing organization. And like, I could have told you then that she was going to do great things for this community. So, um, if you need anyone to vouch, it's me. Oh um, man. And just keep interacting with this platform. This is amazing. Happy to help.
I adore you. And yes, any opportunity we can get for you to pour into our community, we will take. Thank you so much for giving your wisdom and expertise. You are a treasured sister friend in her sorority journey. That's for sure. Thanks, Cassie. If you take nothing else away from this conversation today, I hope that you leave inspired to take one step closer to relating to your sorority's ritual. That one step doesn't have to be becoming your sorority's ritual chair or memorizing every song or prayer or creed or whatever it is that you participate in in your chapter. It's just taking one step to better understand one part of your chapter's foundation so that in these moments of chapter and your ceremonies, you're able to still commit to the values, the shared principles with which that you found membership and sisterhood in this organization, and not allow that time to just pass you by. As Marley and I talked about today, intentionality is truly the foundation from which we do everything in sorority to better equip us for life after college. So why should the ritual sphere of the chapter be handled any differently? If you're a sorority officer who interacts with ritual in any way, I want to encourage you to create space for women in your chapter who might not naturally connect to your sorority's ritual to explore that without shame or embarrassment or any judgment that they don't connect in the way that some of the other members do. If you're a member listening, I want to challenge you to bring this up to your leadership and maybe you're the one who starts to create a space to have hard conversations, especially if you're one who naturally understands By providing opportunities to embrace the discomfort, we can actually realign with the foundation from which our organizations were built in a much more authentic and real way. I hope you take that seriously, especially as we approach the end of the academic year and spend a couple months apart, either because of graduation or before we come back in the fall. We can't afford to lose sight of the purpose of our organizations in these next few months. And I encourage you to use your sorority's ritual as a way to reconnect. Thanks for tuning in to the Your Sorority Journey podcast this week. If this episode left you with any guidance or confidence to navigate your sorority membership, we would love to hear from you. Share a screenshot of this episode on your Instagram story and tag her sorority journey so we can know what resonated with you. Also, be sure to leave a review wherever you listen so more sister friends can find this guidance just like you. Here for you always, sister. 